Praise God. Good evening all. If you open your Bibles in Philippians chapter 4, just keep that open before you for a minute. Philippians chapter 4. I know you've got a load of notes there tonight that don't let it scare you. We won't go through every scripture individually. Actually, let me read Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Look at this. Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs. Amen? Amen. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Sure? Yes. Positive? I'm not so sure myself, to be honest. (laughs) What we talked about this morning was there's three different ways that God speaks to us. There's his general conversational word. There are his conditional promises and there are his unconditional promises. And one of the current problems, but I don't know, maybe age-old problem, is this. People pick up their Bible and they take the whole book as a personal promise book. And that is a major flaw in our thinking, in our theology. It's a flaw that Abraham gets highlighted in the Bible because he didn't make it. It's a flaw that Joseph didn't make and Isaac didn't make. They understood the difference between the general conversation of God, the conditional promises of God, and the unconditional promises of God, but I don't believe we do. The truth is, when the Scripture says, and my God will supply all my needs. That is not automatic by any stretch of the imagination. And there's your problem. God will not supply all your needs unless you're fulfilling the conditions in the previous verses. So don't just pull something out. Paul is talking to the Philippians who had been giving beyond their tithe. And in the previous verses, he I mean, just take a look at it. Verse 16 Sorry, I'll start, let me start at verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent you out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving. Stingy believers. Christians tied up meeting their own needs. And Paul mentions this again in another place. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except who? You. Now here we go. Paul is talking directly, and he comes to the promise later. Except you only. For even if I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for that gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts. Who sent? You sent. He's still talking to the same group of people. They are a fragrant offering. In other words, beyond the tithe. These were people who were giving into missions. Paul was a missionary. This is your MFP right here. They are a fragrant offering, not tithe. An acceptable sacrifice, sacrificial offering. Pleasing to God. And to to those people who had given, he says this. And my God will meet all your needs. It's a good example. There's thousands more. 
where you can just pluck a scripture and automatically apply it to yourself, whereas the truth is you can't do that. And then you go through life wondering, well, why do the promises never seem to happen for me? And as we saw this morning, the, 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 the patriarchs all the way through to your New Testament, they are there for examples to you and to me to show us that they didn't make this mistake. Abraham understood the nature of the promise. Friends, listen to me. If Abraham understood anything, he understood how to receive a promise. Let me tell you. And he passed on something that has been lost over the generations. Remember what we said about Joseph. Joseph understood that the living by the promise was so important that he told them to take my bones, right? So they definitely, the patriarchs, the apostles, they had something that I believe our generation has most certainly lost, right? And I intend to gain that back. I don't know about you. You saw this morning how we looked at a general principle. You've probably heard the four Ps before. I've heard them a thousand times. But I've never seen them quite so clearly. I believe there's a word here, folks. I believe there's a word right here. And there's contention to get it to you. So fight back. Don't give in. Don't lie down. Don't be passive. There's a word here. God wants you, 2010 coming up. God wants you to make that year to enter in to the promises of God. Now that means something's got to change. I don't know about you, but I'm not happy with the amount of the promises of God that I have personally attained to. I need multiplied millions. You might need 150 grand to pay your mortgage. Well, I don't. I need multiplied millions. Not just for this church, but for many other churches. And I feel that responsibility. So how on earth am I going to get there or die trying? Well, I'll never get anywhere unless I understand these basic principles. And don't go with the cozy culture of our day. That, you know, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it. Every scripture is mine. I don't think so. There are most definitely conditions. That's what Abraham was accoladed for. He was, you know, the man of faith, the patriarch of faith. And that's what we must do. Remember what we said then. First of all, God gives a promise. He gives a promise to change your behavior. Because your love for God doesn't seem quite to be there. Hot enough. You with me? Don't quite have enough love for God. But your understanding father says, okay, I'll make you a promise. Just like that naughty boy running around. If you, I will. It begins with a promise. But lo and behold, as soon as you get a promise, like Abraham, I promise you your son, he gets his son. As soon as he gets a promise, Genesis 21, Genesis 22, what happens? Sacrifice him. Promise problem. Again and again and again. And in Hebrews it tells us that Abraham overcame that problem. He believed that God would somehow bring his son back. So, I warn you friends, because this bit's not funny. If you go around claiming scriptures that don't actually apply to you, if you're not carrying out the conditions and yet you think that you can claim the promise. Do you know what that's called? It's called tempting Christ. It's called tempting Christ. It's a terrible sin. It's a, in fact, I would say it's a dangerous sin. Do you know what it's like? It's like getting a lottery ticket and holding it up to God. Say, God bless my ticket. You watch yourself. You start playing games. With, what, what that's doing is asking God 
to act outside of his moral nature. It's asking God to bless something that he will never bless. One of the members in this church, what did he do with his children? Got so stressed out with gambling that he even took his own children's lives. An appalling tragedy. Don't talk to me about gambling because we've had it firsthand. I don't want to ever see it again. So don't bring your lottery ticket to God because it's called tempting Christ. And that's a dangerous thing to be engaged in. So, but it's the same if I bring a promise to God that I see in Scripture and I'm not fulfilling the conditions. You with me? And yet I'm expecting God to come and bless me anyway. It's a wrong approach to God. It's almost, you know, Scripture warns us about bringing God down. Well, this is a classic way in which you could do that, exactly that. So, we stop this morning at the, prob- at the, the, the promise and then we've got a problem. Now, I've got many promises that I want to give birth to, and I'm sure you have too. If you're born again here and God has spoken to you, I'm sure you've got something in you. In fact, some of you have come to me already to talk about things you believe for. Amen. But there'll be a problem. <laughs> there'll be a problem. You just got to find it. You got to open your eyes and recognize, ah, that's the problem. There's the promise. There's my future. Now I'm going to face up to the actual problems that are going to stop me getting there. That's a good day. It's a good day to, to recognize that key, that, you know, stepping stone, if you like. So, what are the steps then to overcoming the problems? And that's an extensive list of scriptures there. We're not going to look at them tonight, obviously. But that's step number one then. What I would do is I would ask the Holy Spirit to show me specific scriptures that I need. Scriptures that apply to me, scriptures that are going to help me to grow. If I'm facing a problem, then I definitely need God to help me overcome that problem. Turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29. Just over from Philippians. Next page over. Many years ago, I was exhausted. Ministering, 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 giving out, giving out, giving out. Non-stop, all the time. And I was very, very tired. And I dragged myself to a prayer meeting. And I didn't want to say anything to anybody. I just sort of cried out from my gut, you know, to God. I said, God, I need energy. I need help. Give me spiritual strength. I don't understand this. I don't understand how this whole thing works. Why am I so tired? And I started to look for an answer. Asking God to show me an answer to gain spiritual strength. And I found it almost immediately. Just flicking through my Bible. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 29, Paul talks about where he gets his energy from. To this end... I labor, struggling with all his energy. What a a key, if you like. There I was facing a problem, right? And there's a scripture that delivered me right there and then. I didn't shout, but I felt like shouting. That's a key. Paul wasn't laboring in his own energy. And obviously, I am. Obviously, I am because I'm worn out. Not that you can't be worn out. You know, sometimes that happens in this spirit as well, just as Christ dropped his cross, etc., etc. No problem. But at that point, I needed the strength, and that's where I got it. I got a key. 
I'm saying, God, help me continue. And boom. And those words energize you, right? If you're seeking a miracle, and I am, I'm sure you are too. If you're seeking a miracle, Pastor Elia mentioned the 10th. The 10th of January, here in the evening, we're going to have a healing meeting. That's just one form of miracle. Many miracles that are needed in this place and all over the world. But miracles come in three different ways. Very distinct, very different in the Bible. The first form, the first way that you can receive a miracle is that God himself can choose to intervene in your life. Say you're sick. Without asking you, he doesn't need your permission. God could just intervene in your life. Like Paul going down the road. And God comes and grabs him. God himself can work the miracle. But that's not really what you want. And Jesus warned many times. He didn't really want people to seek miracles like that. Because they're insecure. Often temporary. When you see people lose their healing. That's because probably God did it himself alone intervene. So the first type, the first way you receive a miracle is probably the weakest. And that's from God himself. The second way, a little bit stronger maybe because you can see the person. And people like that. Oh, Benny Hinn prayed for me, you know. And they've got Benny Hinn. They've got him there. They can see him. They can go back to that meeting or whatever. The second way is another person's faith. So first you can receive a miracle from God. Secondly, you can receive a miracle through another person, but that also is very weak. And of course, thirdly, and the way the Bible wants you to receive miracles, is through your own faith and understanding. And that's why I was sharing with the pastors here, not just about that night, but about any night. Don't preach in this place to stir up a hoop and holler. Right? Because as soon as the person's gone, hallelujah, they'll walk out that door and be not one jot different. True? We'll give them enough energy to get to the front door. Well, amen. That was never the motivation behind preaching. It's not to stir up a crowd. Do you know what it is? To bring understanding. So that the, And very often, do you know the truth? When people get understanding, do you know what they say? Nothing. Sit quiet. And they go home with it. And it changes their lives. That's what we're looking for. And on the 10th, and any other healing meeting we do, or any other deliverance meeting we do, it should be solid, involving the person. Not God coming in dynamically. Not the, the healer coming here and healing someone. Ideally. But the, own, the people themselves gaining faith, gaining understanding, and actually getting a miracle that they can keep. And you may have seen, I've seen documentaries with Reinhard Bonnke and Benny Hinn where they interrogate them, you know. This person was healed and now they're sick again. This person walked and now they can't walk. You're a fake. But nobody will listen to the answers. There's many temporary miracles. And Jesus had temporary miracles all around him. He used to say to people, I've healed you, but watch it or you'll be even sicker than you were in the first place. So Jesus was well familiar with temporary fleeting miracles based on someone else's faith or God's faith. These are not the foundations of our faith, guys. It's understanding. Scriptural here, understanding based in the word. Coming out of you, inside out. Then you can keep it. Amen? Amen. So, first and foremost, seek, how do I get over my problem? 
I seek God to show me in Scripture. As I say, they reckon there's somewhere between 3,000 to 5,000 promises in Scripture. That's a lot of promises. But I seek God to help me get through that. And by the way, folks, you're probably going to look like a fool. <laughs> if you obey God and you start acting on those promises and you starting facing problems with the right principles that you see in the Scripture, you're probably going to look like a real idiot. Don't worry about that. Fool for Christ. Amen? The second way I would face a problem is to obey, and this is not as simple as it sounds, to obey the conditions that relate to that promise. And there will be some specific conditions. If you're seeking a specific, could be just particular to you. And there are some conditions that I would say are, are, are general ones, such as speech. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says this, The power of life and death are in your tongue. In your tongue. I mean, that's shocking. I wouldn't have thought that. So, if, you know, do you know what I find in ministry, guys? Do you know what people believe? Many of you maybe are like this. People believe their, their tongue is like a gun. They accept that it's powerful. Bang! I can say this, and I know I can hurt people. Bang! But do you know what they don't believe? They don't believe it harms themselves. And so you so often hear the very person who guards their tongue rather than hurt someone still speak negatively about themselves. But that gun, my friend, is just as dangerous pointed at your own head as it is pointed at someone else's. And when it comes to obeying these principles, way up on your list is your speech. If you're going to say in one breath that you're healed, and in the next breath, I'm not, right? We're starting to get into, to, I'm not getting into hyper faith or anything like that. But you know what I mean. If you're going to speak negatively, then watch it. And by the way, if God has spoken to you that he's healed you, and indeed Isaiah says that by his stripes we have been healed. And if you start to confess that for one day, or two days, or three days, it's not good enough. You have to hold to the confession. Because if you let one slip, that's it, you lose it. You know that? Sounds hard, but it's true. And it just takes one little thing. Jesus put it like this. He said, a little bit of yeast will leaven the whole batch. In other words, you may have done a lot right. You may be holding your testimony day after day, but it actually only takes that one little slip of a word and you've punctured your own bloom, you know? So be careful of speech. The power of life and death are in the tongue. And we'll look at this at another time. Now, it's a big issue. They reckon around 2 million people left Israel to pursue the promise. Wow! 2 million! How many got there? Two! One in a million. Joshua and Caleb. 2 million people leave and 2 enter. 2 were able to hold their speech Two were able just not to let rip against God. And so they got through there. What are the conditions for facing my... What are the principles then that God wants me to obey? I would put speech way up on my list. I don't know about you. The second thing I'd say is I've got to take every thought captive and, and start to fight inside myself. If my thoughts contradict the word of God, then I will contradict them. Quote scripture back at myself. Uh, thirdly, I would say you need to confess it. Whatever that promise is, whatever you're believing for, whatever God has spoken to you, to speak it out. Start to boldly do that. 
Fourthly, I would say to go to warfare. If I know that God has given me a promise, and if I know that I'm obeying the principles, then what's the blockage? Pastor Illuminate did a very good point on this one night. What's the blockage then? Well, that's my job, isn't it? I'm going to have to start praying. I'm going to have to start moving the devil. That's my warfare, right? If I know I'm doing what is right, and I'm obeying the principles, if I know I've heard that promise from God, then I'm not the blockage. And God is certainly not the blockage. So who's the blockage? Satan, the devil, spirits, and just like Isaac's promised wells were blocked up, what did Isaac have to do? Unblock those wells to access the promise of God. And so there's different... Warfare is on your list of principles. But Christians, you know, I believe many just don't believe they have to work at all. We don't believe we have anything to do. You have a lot to do. That's not the book, guys. That's not the story here. It never was. You have an enormous amount of work to do. And it really is blood, sweat and tears. It's a lot of hard graft in the kingdom. Great joys. But it's the laborers. It's the laborers who rejoice. It's the laborers who rejoice. And if you sit there thinking it's an easy peasy promise thing, uh, that, that, I just can't see it, guys. I can't see it. So obey or seek the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the things in Scripture that you need to see. Consider the principles that may obey and that may apply to your specific promise. And look at Hebrews chapter 6 a moment. It's a famous one. You'll know this well already. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy. Huh? <laughs> They didn't want to work, you know. We do not want you to become lazy. He's talking about entering into the promises of God. And he talks about people who don't don't know that they have to work. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Absolutely fantastic. Remember, patience is not a gift. You can't come forward at the end and we lay hands on you. You get patience. Sorry. Patience is a fruit and it's something that's got to be developed. Remember when we had the bread here one night? There is no such thing as bread. You know that? There's no such thing really as a loaf of bread. I'll tell you what there is. There's flour, water, yeast, butter, milk. And when you actually mix that lot together, you come up with this thing that we call bread. But bread is actually made up of many things not unique to itself. And so it is with the promises. or in her- By faith and patience and watching my mouth and guarding my thoughts and sticking to that word, this is how I produce the promise in my life. Right? So seek God and find out you know, what specific scriptures apply to you. Embrace the conditions that apply to that and there will be many of them. That's life. And employ faith and patience. Now, I mentioned this morning how Moses said, stand still, wait a minute, hang on. And patience is a rare virtue, guys, especially when it comes to God. Let me tell you a story about patience and inheriting the promises of God. We were in our church in Dublin, and there was one big family with us, but there was one child in that family, about 14-year-old girl, And she had never come. And she came in one day, absolutely stunning girl, beautiful girl. 
Now, most of her brothers and sisters, uh, most of her sisters, had got pregnant at a very young age and sort of went, you know, wrong. And this was the first time I'd met her. She came in and sat down and I felt a burden because she was the first one of the family I had responsibility for. So I quietly sought God. I said, God, would you help me cover her? Help me protect her. They all get pregnant so quick. Help me cover her. Help me protect her. And you know what? To my shock, God spoke back to me almost immediately. Do you know what he said? And I'll use my own words. He said to me, go back to her and tell her, these are my words, that a knight in shining armor is coming for her. She's only about 14 or 15. She must keep herself pure. She must sit still, stay pure, stay a virgin. And I will send. I could see that this was going to be somebody really special. Forgive me for saying this, but she came from a very low estate. You know, they came from a real tough background. It was was quite a, a bad place. But I could see that this guy was coming from a very different place. Now, I was so scared of that word that I didn't tell her for weeks. Because that's a big thing. I'm going to give her a directional word for her life. I was kind of scared. So we had this altar call one night and she comes forward and I think, well, here goes. Jeanette, come here, stand beside me a minute. Let me just give this promise. And I said, listen to me. I have a word for you. Most of your sisters got pregnant very early, right? I sought God for you and he spoke to me. He said, there's a man on the way. A real good guy. But you are going to have to say pure. So I want you to sit down and stay there. Don't move. Trust the Lord. And someone is going to come. Do you know, you could see, I could see that promise enter that girl's life. She took a steely appearance and she, she said, I got it. And even as a, as, as a kid at that point, she turned and sat down. She remained in our church for eight years after that. Week after week, she would come in and sit down. And she would sit with a sort of a small grin. I promise. It's a great thing. She would sit with a kind of a, a secret joy. I know what I've got coming. Great confidence. Great patience. Great faith. I was very impressed. I was like, Lord, please send that guy. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah. Help me. Don't let her down, Lord. Look. He's so good. So faithful. So patient. Why? Years went by. It was about eight years, right? We did a wedding. Big wedding in the city. She wasn't at it. And all the guys came in and like five, six pastors there and you're up at the top table and the, the brother of the guy who was getting married wasn't saved, but the guy was. And he was the best man. And the brother stood up to speak. He was a businessman, young fella, but it's quite a successful businessman. And as he started to speak, every pastor, I could hear them thinking, I want him saved and in my church. <laughs> he was a good guy, a real good guy. I was in over there. Wow, I like him. Everybody liked him. He got saved. He came to our church. And it was only about, I don't know, a year or so. He says, I need to talk to you. I feel that I want to marry that girl there. He came from such a, he was a Boaz. And she was a Ruth. Right? 
came from such a... And I thought, that's it. I never put them together. I couldn't perceive that he would be able to make that jump. But today, they're married, living in Dublin. By faith and patience, we inherit or appropriate these promises of God. And lastly, and and not leastly, by any stretch of the imagination, we need to accept God's promises as the best thing. Now, you, you may be shocked at this. Maybe you haven't had too many encounters, but I have. <laughs> when you know that God is saying something to someone, when he's offering them something, and they don't want it. They think they know better. They think they have a better plan than God's. And we never do, do we? I remember when I was in social services, I so wanted a job in this particular home to work in it. I desperately wanted that. I thought, that's the place for me. Actually, it was ironic because I got the job, but then they couldn't give it to me, blah, blah, blah. And I was crestfallen, devastated. Oh, man, nothing's ever going to be the same again, sort of thing, you know? And as it happened, they gave me a job in another home, right? Not far from it. And as time went by, I suddenly realized, as I got to know both homes, man, I would have hated it over there. I would have absolutely hated it. Thank you, God. You knew far better than me. I thought I knew best, but I don't. I really don't. And so that last one is not actually something you should, you know, just dismiss. You need to accept God's will as the best thing. And for some people, that, as I say, that is very difficult. Let me invite the worship team back. I want you to take these promises very seriously. Stand with me a moment and we'll pray. And pray specifically into anything. Just take a moment. Close your eyes. Don't get distracted. Don't look around. Just close your eyes one minute. And I want you to reflect over the years about any promise that God may have given you. Any promise that he may have spoken to you. And start to think about why that may not have come to pass. Were there principles, Lord, that I disobeyed? then I ask your forgiveness. Were there things that I missed? Then God forgive me. And right here, right now, tonight, I'll recommit to you, Jesus, to follow those principles, to walk them out, to live them out, and to actually grab hold of the promises of my God. Lord, whatever it is we're hoping for, I pray you will sanctify it and make it holy and acceptable in your sight. You are holy God. And we recognize that and honor that. I pray you'll put a lively faith in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.